All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I am reviewing the all 22 from the Falcons week two loss of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as well as answering your listener questions. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com, RIP. Still going strong on Twitter, at FalcFans. And, of course, throwing up an occasional column, weekly column, every Friday at the Falcoholic, the SB Nation website for the Atlanta Falcons. And, of course, the host of this world-renowned Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode features... My review of the all 22, where we'll be talking about how much improvement the offensive line showed and why the Falcons were so vulnerable, at least to my eyes, to the big play from the Bucks in week two. We'll talk about did the Falcons find potential answers uh, that they need at the punter position and wide receiver position with some players that they worked out in one of them that they signed on Tuesday to kick off the show. And then at the end of the show, we'll answer a listener question about Michael Walker's limited role on defense and whether he can potentially help the Falcons at not only linebacker, but also along the edge. But before we get into that, guys, I want to let you know that the locked on NFL draft podcast has relaunched. I know you missed Trevor and Ben, but check out the new hosts, Eric Crocker, Ryan Tracy, getting that player scouting and analytics angle. Now, on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, and of course, you can follow it on YouTube, the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So the Falcons had a little busy Tuesday with some roster movements, some workouts, and we'll get into the implications of those. They worked out seven players, three wide receivers, Marcel Aitman, John Brown, and Kelvin Harmon. They worked out three punters and Dustin Colquitt, Trevor Daniel, and Lachlan Edwards, and they worked out a long snapper and Drew Scott. Now, I'm assuming that the long snapper worked out, not because Josh Harris is in any danger, but you need somebody to snap to those punters in that workout, and you're not going to call Josh Harris in on his off day. But the Falcons did wind up signing Dustin Colquitt to their practice squad. They wound up releasing guard Brian Witzman, one of the two guards that the Falcons picked up last week uh, on the practice squad. They already cut Danny Isadora. Maybe that means not that the Falcons are super confident in Jalen Mayfield moving forward. We'll talk about that later in his performance in week two later, but maybe it means that Josh Andrews is potentially his imminent return from the injured reserve means that the Falcons don't feel compelled to have extra bodies at guard on the practice squad moving forward. So we'll see about that. Uh, But, you know, basically Colquitt, acts as a insurance policy in the event that the current punter in Cam Nizalek, who has already shanked three out of his 10 punts through two games this year. And those three shanks have proven costly because they have resulted directly or indirectly into 21 opposing points for the Falcons opponents. And, you know, unlike Nizalek, Colquitt does not kick off. Uh, he does not have much experience as a kickoff specialist, but Nizalek hasn't been particularly good as a kickoff specialist through two games. Only 29% of his kickoffs have been touchbacks so far. And we talked during the summer about the difference between Sterling Hoffrichter and Young Wei Koo and why Hoffrichter became the team's main kickoff specialist in the back half of 2020 because Koo was only hitting a 
touchbacks on about 42% of his kickoffs last year, while Hoffrichter was 73%. So, you know, compare that to the 29% of Nizelecki and you're seeing uh, subpar play. Although, you know, only two of his kicks on Sunday were short. And I don't know if the Falcons were doing that on purpose because they were afraid of Bucks rookie kickoff returner Jaden Mickens in the same way that the Bucks were afraid of Cordero Patterson. And they purposely were kicking it short on those plays. Um, but it was weird because the other two kickoffs that Nizalik had did go deep, did go into the end zone. So it seemed weird that why would you not do that on all the kicks like the Bucks did um, or, you know, just some of the kicks. So I don't know about that. But if the Falcons do wind up moving on from Nizalik, and again, I think this week will probably represent his final chance to sort of remain the Falcons punt punter for at least another week. He's, he's, he might be week to week at this point in time uh, moving forward. Uh, but if they do wind up moving on from Nizalek and promoting Coquit from the practice squad to the roster, uh, that will probably lead to Young Way Koo being the kickoff specialist moving forward. As for Coquit, he was a pretty productive punter for the Chiefs for seven years, then was picked up by the Steelers last year and struggled uh, for five games before being released and, and has been out of the league since. Uh, but he is a veteran punter, so at least in, in in theory, he's a much more known commodity. But hopefully you get more of the Chiefs version of Dustin Colquitt than the Steelers version of Dustin Colquitt when they were dead last in the NFL in net punting average uh, during those five games that Colquitt was the punter there. As for the wide receiver workouts, John Brown, of course, stands out. Aitman and Harmon are essentially two bigger-bodied wide receivers with 4'6 speed, so they're not really bringing to the table what the Falcons desperately need, and that's a guy that can take the top off of a defense, uh, and that's what Brown brings to the table. What's notable about this is the Falcons seemingly love them some ex-Raiders wide receivers. Brown was with the Raiders this summer, so was Aitman. They also already signed Keelan Doss to their practice squad earlier at the end of, of final cuts this summer, so it seems like John Gruden and those guys are, are just basically becoming a pipeline for the Falcons to at least look at the wide receiver position, but as I said, Brown brings that explosive vertical threat to the offense that is sorely lacking uh, without uh, Julio Jones you know, lining up opposite Calvin Ridley. And that's a position that should they not get that from John Brown or somebody else the rest of the season, I think is going to be a need heading into next off season, uh, particularly with Russell Gage hitting free agent market. And right now, based off of his performance so far is not necessarily doing a whole lot to, you know, force the Falcons to feel compelled to have to bring him back. But, you know, part of Gage's struggles in week two were due to injuries, right? He injured his ankle, uh, in the second quarter. And so bringing in guys like Brown, you know, means that the Falcons need that depth potentially immediately going into week three. Um, and Gage's injury, lower leg injury, whatever it was, you know, he proceeded to continue to play on it and testament to Russell Gage for gutting through that injury. But, you know, to me, had no business playing on that because it was very limiting on his and impacting his ability, not only as a route runner, essentially they were, the Falcons were asking him to run hitches and curls for the rest of the game. And so he wasn't running a full route tree, which is inhibiting your offense. And it also limited him as a blocker. He wasn't able to get position on the outside against corners on a couple of runs to the outside because he did, he was basically playing on one leg. And, you know, I tweeted on Tuesday that it to me showed how little faith the Falcons have in the rest of their wide receiver depth, whether that's Alameda Zacchaeus, Christian Blake, or Tajay Sharp, that they continue to play gauge an injured gauge uh, for the rest of that game. Um, all those guys did see increased reps. So they, they did get more reps because of all the snaps that gauge was missing. 
But the fact that Gage continued to play in that game told you that the Falcons were very uncomfortable, at least mid-game, to to turn the keys over to those guys. Maybe with a week of practice, those guys would be more prepared to fill the shoes in week three against the Giants. But, you know, it doesn't seem like the Falcons are signing John Brown. There was a report from Aaron Wilson, formerly of the Houston Chronicle, saying that John Brown's workout went out went well, which basically means that his agent told him, uh, Mr. Wilson, that the workout went well. But nothing is imminent. And, and Jeremy Fowler of ESPN echoed something similar, that nothing seems imminent. And hopefully the Falcons will come to their senses in, in, in regards to signing John Brown because they certainly could use a player like that right now. They could use him tomorrow. Um, but I'll give the Falcons the benefit of doubt and assume that they didn't sign Brown because of money. Right When Brown signed his one-year deal with the Raiders this past offseason, he signed a one-year $3.75 million contract. So it, it, it would suggest that maybe John Brown is not necessarily willing and prepared to play for the veteran minimum. Uh, and frankly, I, I wouldn't blame him uh, for not being willing to play for the veteran minimum, especially for a team like the Falcons, who, you know, if they were 2-0, and it might be a different story. But given that the Falcons are 0-2 and considered by many folks to be one of the worst teams in the league, at least to date, you know, why would you want to play for that team on a bargain, right? You know, pay me, pay me my full salary uh, in that case. And the Falcons just don't have to cap space. We'll, we'll touch upon that a little bit later on today's episode um, to, to sign a player like John Brown to an extensive price. They really can't afford to sign anybody to more than basically a, a one year veteran minimum deal. So hopefully, you know, things work out for the Falcons, particularly at that wide receiver position. Hopefully we'll see what happens with them at the punter position. But, uh, you know, the Falcons need certainly need some help at both spots. They certainly need help elsewhere on the roster. We'll talk about how much help they need in terms of their blocking, how much improvement that unit showed in week two. We'll talk about some of the ongoing concerns in terms of their coverage and why the Falcons were so vulnerable to the big play against the Bucks, based off of what the film showed me as we continue today's week two all 22 review on Locked on Falcons. But before we get there, guys, I want to let you know that BetOnline is back and is better than ever. All eyes are now on the gridiron or teams are back on the football field to start another season. And as always, BetOnline is your number one spot for pro and college football action this season with a new updated website and interface and even more odds, props, and contests. BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today with the promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus. Maybe you're feeling good about the Falcons being three-point underdogs against the Giants this weekend, or maybe you're like me and you're staying away from betting on the Falcons or against the Falcons until they start winning games and you start to get a better feel for what this team is. And maybe the Panthers being seven and a half point favorites against the Davis Mills led Texans team on Thursday night is a bet that's more your speed. And if so, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for this 2021 season. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So Falcon fans, I know when you're stuck in bumper to bumper traffic, it causes you to burn through a lot of gas. Well, there's an incredible app that everyone should know about. It's called Get Upside. You can make up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time you fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use the promo code touchdown and you'll get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents 
cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use the promo code touchdown to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as 200 to $300 a month in cash back. And there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app for iOS or Android right now and use the promo code touchdown to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank that's get upside in the app store and promo code touchdown so i watched the all 22 film and i was disgusted by the all 22 film. uh you know it just it was so many bad performances from the falcons on film and not a whole lot of positives for me in terms of, you know or let's say that it's not to say that the, it was all bad but obviously the things that were did that were bad stood out to me. And, and one of those was remains the offensive line. Now the offensive line wasn't as bad as they were in week one, you know, but Jalen Mayfield continues to be a liability at that left guard position. He ranked 65th out of 65 guards. According to pro football focus in week one, he ranked 68 out of 68 guards, according to PFF in week two. Uh, so, you know, his grade, his overall grade was a little bit better, but it was still very bad. Uh, Matt Hennessy, while his blocking is okay, you know, he's, he's still not a guy that you want to put one-on-one against a powerful nose tackle like we saw. And we saw him get exposed a couple of times by guys like Vita Vey and Dominican Sue in that week two game. But the big knock on, on Matt Hennessy at this point is less his blocking and more the protections. Right. There were too many instances where the Bucks were able to get easy a gap pressure. You're making it too easy for players like Devin White. And while I'm not an expert when it comes to protection calls and what, you know, being able to identify who exactly blew the assignment, whether it's Hennessy, whether it's the guard, whether it's the running back that's supposed to pick up that free rusher. Again, that's not my area of expertise, but since he is the center, he is responsible for everybody being on the same page as far as the protections go. That is his responsibility as the center. Uh, so even if Hennessy is not personally responsible for blowing the block, you know, it's still on him to a certain degree when someone does blow that protection. And there were just too many instances of that in week two. And, you know, given the Bucks love bringing that a gap pressure with guys like Devin white, you know, and we've seen how effective they have been using that in past games. And, and the fact that this isn't Hennessy's first start against the Bucks, we, he did start that week 17 game. So this wasn't like the first time he was seeing something like this. He knew exactly what he should have been expecting based off his film study a year ago. So to me, that makes it even more unacceptable, right? So these growing pays up front, you know, to me caused Matt Ryan to be skittish in the pocket when Ryan did, uh, make some impressive throws in this game, made some impressive plays in this game, able to avoid pressure at times and, and, and make some throws down the field, but far too much of this game, he, he became captain checkdown, right? And, and you could argue he was admiral checkdown. That's how, that's how he had, he got the promotion given how many checkdowns he was given. And, and again, a lot of that was due to the pressure he was, he was getting in his face guys like Mayfield and Hennessy, that interior offensive line, the pressure would flash in his face and he would immediately go to the check down, quick check down, check down. 30% of Matt Ryan's pass attempts went to running backs in this game in 2020 league wide running backs only accounted for 18% of quarterback throws. So, you know, the, the good thing that you can say about the Falcons with all those check downs, we did get to see Cordero Patterson chain, you know, 
take a couple of those checkdowns and turn them into big plays for the Falcons, a touchdown. He had a, a big play off of a screen pass. He had that big play down the sideline that if he hadn't stepped out of bounds, potentially would have been, you know, a, a touchdown, a 40 yard touchdown. Uh, and it was just a 20 yard gain, just, you know, uh, air quotes, just. But, um, you know, I don't know if that's something that you can consistently rely on week in and week out. You, you look at his production through these first two weeks, you know, and compare it to the last couple of years when he's been a running back. His production, at least on a per snap basis, is far exceeding anything he's shown to date. So I don't feel like this is something that is sustainable. Kudos to Cordero Patterson for basically being the Falcons top weapon in these first two games. But I don't think you can rely on that for 17 games for another 15 games. I, I I'm hopeful that we will continue to see more games like this from Patterson, but you're going to have to get other players involved. And, you know, a lot of that is on the offensive line. If they can't hold up, you're going to continue to see checkdowns to Mike Davis and Cordero Patterson. And again, I don't think you're going to have as much success consistently week in and week out as you saw this past week doing that. Defensively, when I looked at the film, and while I did not chart the entire game, I did look at all 11 of Tom Brady's deep throws and charted those plays. And, and the official stat sheet you know, considers a deep throw to be any pass that travels 15 or more yards in the air. Uh, and you know, I wanted to look at that because when I was watching the film through my first through, it just seemed like every time the Falcons were utilizing cover two, they were getting picked apart. And on those 11 deep plays, the vast majority of them featured the Falcons using some form of split safety coverage, whether it's cover two, Tampa two or cover four. So eight out of those 11 deep pass attempts uh, had the Falcons in the split safety look. And on those eight plays, Tom Brady completed five of those eight passes for 118 yards, one touchdown, right? Two of his incompletions were those pass breakouts by AJ Terrell, where he showed impressive range, uh, impressive awareness to break up those throws to find, you know, to not allow the bucks to exploit that soft spot in the cover two zone between the deep safety and the underneath corner in the flat. Uh, and so kudos to AJ Terrell for making plays. And the other incompletion for Tom Brady was basically uh, where Mike Evans ran a deep post and, and ran right by Eric Harris and, and Deron Harmon. And had Brady hit that throw and not overthrown it, that would have been a touchdown. Right? It was just, he was gone. So it just seemed like the, the Bucs were having a field day against the Falcons split safety stuff. And it, it seemed like they were consistently targeting that zone between the safeties underneath the safeties and behind the linebackers. I don't think the Falcons linebackers played particularly well. I thought Foya Olakun seemed to be often responsible covering that deep scene, especially when the Falcons were utilizing their Tampa two looks. And just to me too often was out of position. You know, there were some plays early on where it looked like Deion Jones uh, playing that will linebacker spot was out of the position we saw in the week one game. You know, Deion Jones was frequently targeted by the Eagles in that flat zone that he was being asked to cover. Um, And so, you know, you didn't see the safeties really driving on the underneath stuff. So pretty much once the tight end or the wide receiver was able to get behind the linebackers, you know, they, they were just wide open. That's why it seemed like the tight ends were killing the Falcons and, and Mike Evans and, and Godwin at times uh, over the middle were, were attacking them. And for me, though, I, I'm probably a little less harsh on the safety play than I am on the linebacker play. Uh, but you know, the Falcons are going to have to figure out a way to fix that. And and maybe that means if you're going to play that split safety stuff, playing a little bit more of the cover four or quarters looks, which gives the safeties a little bit more flexibility to drive on some of those underneath 
targets because they don't have as much responsibility to cover the deep outside routes, uh, given that the cover four asked the outside corners to also play those deep responsibilities, the deep quarter of the field. Uh, so that may be uh, an adjustment that the Falcons might make. And of course this week th- that is going to be a concern because if AJ Terrell is out of this game with a concussion, uh, that means that the Falcons are going to wind up probably starting TJ green at that left cornerback spot. And we saw green give up a couple of big plays to Mike Evans, a touchdown and a big play in the fourth quarter as well. Um, and right now when we're looking at the, the Falcons major issues, we're talking about the interior offensive line. We're talking about the lack of vertical threat at the wide receiver position on their offense. We're talking about the need to get more effective pressure from their edge rushers opposite, uh, Dante Fowler, since Steven means is not cutting it there. We're talking about beefing up their interior D line against the run. You know, we're talking about their cornerback depth being atrocious because now we're resorting to a safety in TJ green to basically be our fourth corner, uh, coming off the bench and, and potentially a starter this week. If, if Terrell is not healthy to play. And so you have all these issues. The Falcons have so many issues right now that they're going to have to overcome. If this team is going to start playing good football, right? And those are the ones that sort of jump out to me immediately. And right now, I don't know if the Falcons, currently have the talent on their roster to solve the majority of those problems. You know, maybe the interior offensive line play could, could improve with Kobe Gossett uh, being inserted into that left guard position. If Josh Andrews comes back from IR, but you know, and he potentially could next week uh given that's when he first becomes eligible for week four against Washington. And, and that's a game where, you know, whoever that left guard is going to be, is going to face Josh, uh, Jonathan Allen, uh, a bunch in that game. And, and contrary to popular opinion, and you no, know, this is not meant to be chase young slander, but you know, if you, if you want to take it there, I, I'm more than happy to deliver it. But Jonathan Allen is the Washington's best pass rusher uh, by far. Montez sweat might be second. Ionidas would be third in my eyes, and and you can you can argue with yourself about Deron Payne versus Chase Young at this point in time being number four. But uh, you know who, that left guard is going to draw the, the toughest assignment in Week Four, and whether it's Josh Andrews, whether it's Kobe Gossett, whether it's Jalen Mayfield, you know, to me, my personal opinion, and again, as I said earlier last week, you know, I feel like the Falcons set Jalen Mayfield up to fail, and so that's part of the reason why I'm trying not to go too hard on him. Because he's been, you know, put in a terrible situation that he was not prepared to deal with. But I think this week is is your last chance. Jalen Mayfield can't be one of the one, two, or five lowest ranked guards in the NFL. He's going to have to perform at an average starting level. You know, if we're talking about his pro football focus grade, if there's 65-ish guards that play, you know, he's going to have to be somewhere in the 30s or maybe the 40s. Uh, I'll accept the 40s. Uh, if if he's not that high, if he's not in the top 50, um, then there's no absolutely no reason for the Falcons to continue to roll with him uh, moving forward. They have to try something else, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, again, the, the standards have set have lowered so far because Josh Andrews was the 88th best guard in the NFL in 2020 with the Jets last year, according to PFF grades. And we're looking at him as a potential savior. That's how low it has sunk uh, when it comes to the Falcons offensive line and addressing some of these other issues is going to be a problem because the Falcons only have about $2.5 million in salary cap space, according to over the cap. And so it's not as if they can just basically go on a spending spree and start signing everybody, which again is related to my earlier point about why they didn't sign John Brown, right? They're going to have to pick and choose their battles. So right now I think, you know, whether we're talking about the interior offensive line, the wide receiver, 
position, edge rusher, right? The interior defensive line, although I think Mike Pinnell, the practice squad pickup they had a week ago might help in that regard. So maybe you already have an option to solve that problem or the cornerback depth. You know, I think you have to pick like two of these spots and basically say, okay, we're going to, we're going to go out there and get somebody that can add some help to those spots right now. You know, again, if, if it's my guess, because I think you potentially have options at interior offensive line we'll talk about the edge rush situation as we continue today's episode but maybe you have some options there with guys like Adi Ogundeji or, or Jacob Toyota Mariner to, to alleviate some of the pressure there and of course the interior defensive line with Mike Pennell I'm looking at the wide receiver spot I'm looking at the cornerback depth right now and I'm sitting here saying if, if I'm picking two spots where the Falcons could go out there and sign someone tomorrow whether it's a John Brown or somebody else a Darquez Denard was a name that someone threw out there on Twitter on Tuesday I, I would be all over that you you know, if you can get one of those, if you can get both of those guys for a veteran minimum, get the best possible player you can get for a veteran minimum and, and do it tomorrow, do it today. Uh, you know, I, I feel like the Falcons cannot afford to wait and, and play and slow play this. If the goal is to win games. Now, if they, you know, if, if you're on team tank, then, you know, of course, you know, that's a very different methodology. That's a very different mindset. So to me, that will, will kind of learn something about this new regime uh, and, and where their heads at uh, if they don't make a new move over the next week or so. Um, so, you know, again, I don't think the internal options at some of these positions are going to solve the problem, is going to fix the problem, but maybe they will make the, the problem 25% less terrible than it is currently. And, and at this point in time, beggars can't be choosers. That's the progress that we need. That's the progress that we want uh, if the goal is for this team to actually, you know, be decent this season. So uh, we will wrap up today's episode talking a little bit more about that edge rusher position because we'll talk a, a lot about Michael Walker's role in the defense, answering a listener question on that subject. But before we get there, guys, you know, does this sound familiar? You got that one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows and you're watching sports highlights on your phone and you got your father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate Deborah's login for your favorite streaming service. But I want to tell you about a simple way that you can get all the entertainment that you love without any of the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called direct TV stream. It brings you live TV and on demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part other than not having to deal with Deborah's login, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with direct TV stream. You can learn more at direct TV.com. That's direct TV.com compatible device required content varies by package. So we have seen the Falcons offensive line get pushed around twice now. All right. I think the protein diet that they were on in week two did them a little bit better, but guys, we got to send them more protein. So you guys got to go out there and, and head over to built.com and, and get the built bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market. They have many delicious flavors, whether you believe Jake Matthews and Jalen Mayfield and Caleb McGarry and all these guys, whether you think they're fans of peanut butter, brownie, strawberry, double chocolate, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, salted caramel, mint brownie, raspberry, coconut, orange, so much more. You can try them all. There's something for everyone. Try them all with a mix box. Built bars are great because they taste just like a candy bar. They contain 100% real chocolate and you get none of the guilt for eating a candy bar because built bars are healthy too. They're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. Go order yourself some today or ship some to help the guys out at flowery branch by heading over to the website at built.com and use the promo code lock 15 to get 15% off your first order. That's promo code lock 15 for 15% off at built.com. 
So our first question comes from Jamel at jkane 86. He asked with more mobile quarterbacks in the league, do you think we will see a higher percentage of five, two base defenses from teams with a strong top 10 secondary? Thank you for the daily content. So Jamel, I don't really have an answer to you because I am not aware specifically of why a five, two front is advantageous against mobile quarterbacks. Um, you know, that's just a hole in my knowledge. Um, I've never heard that before. So I, I, I would love if you can enlighten me on where I can learn more, read more, listen to more to, to enlighten me on that. So I really can't answer your question because I've, I've never heard that before. Um, so we'll move on to our, our next question where I can give a little bit better definitive answer. Um, it comes from Jim C. He asks, curious as to why Michael Walker snaps have been limited so far. No room with the starting linebackers playing every snap or do the coaches see him as a liability on the field? Tell me what the tape says. Um, Walker is essentially getting only action at that off ball linebacker spot behind Jones and Olakun. And despite, as I said earlier on today's episode, I don't think those guys are doing a fantastic job as of yet this season. I'm not sure there's any reason to think that Walker is going to be an upgrade over them at this point in time. So I think to answer your question, it's probably no room with the starters as you put it. Um, now, if you're wondering why Walker isn't getting any looks at outside linebacker playing more of that edge rusher role, I think it's likely because the team doesn't love his ability as a, a pass rusher. All right. He wasn't a particularly good pass rusher in college. He wasn't a particularly good pass rusher last year with the Falcons. Um, you know, he's in effect a blitzer, right? So you can scheme stuff up for him. And, and maybe that's something that Dean Pease is interested in doing. But in terms of just asking him to go out there and beat offensive tackles, that's not really what Michael Walker's game is about. It's never been about his game. Um, but you know, in terms of playing outside linebacker, it's not just rushing the quarterback because what's notable is that Steven means is dropping into coverage, you know, 15 times a game these first two weeks. And so it's understandable that maybe Michael Walker dropping in the coverage would be a much more valuable asset doing that. And even though he's not as effective going toe to toe against NFL offensive tackles as a pass rusher, given that means isn't giving you any production in that regard, he's only had one pressure uh, in each of these first two games, according to pro football focus, you know, at this point in time, you know, what, what is the drop off between one pressure from Steven means and, and zero pressures or potentially one pressure from Michael Walker. So you, you really have nothing to lose in that regard. So, you know, whether it's a player like Walker or preferably in my opinion, someone like Jacob Tuoti Mariner or Ade Oga, Dejri or even James Valters getting those reps that Stephen Meads is currently getting at the outside linebacker position. It seems like the Falcons, again, this is another position where the Falcons probably need to make a switch. And longtime listeners of this podcast know that I've been a big fan of Stephen Means ever since, even before he was a Falcon. I was advocating for the Falcons to go and get Stephen Means back during the 2017 season, a year before he even signed with the Falcons. But at this point in time in his career, you know, he's a soon to be 32 year old. He's going to turn 32 in, in December, I believe. You know, stealing some of these snaps from some of these younger players, potentially better players at this point in time doesn't make a ton of sense for the Falcons. So as for Walker, you know, I think right now the Falcons are probably going to continue to keep him at that inside linebacker position because they want to continue to develop him, you know, as an insurance policy at that inside linebacker position, just in case next year, you know, they're uh, going to get rid of one or both between Foye Olakun and Deion Jones. And, and frankly, you know, based off of how they performed so far these first two weeks, it, it 
is, you know, I, I think it's doubtful that both of those guys are coming back. And right now it's, it's possible, if not likely, again, given how they perform so far this season, that both of those guys will not be back next year. So I think the idea is Walker can potentially slide and replace one of those guys. And right now I would assume it would be Jones at this point in time, given that I don't think you're going to necessarily promote Michael Walker to be the, the Mike linebacker and, and call the defense uh, next year. Uh, so I think you're more likely grooming Walker as that will linebacker, which again, speaks to some some of the things we've talked about previously on the podcast that I don't think Deion Jones is long for Atlanta uh, in, unless his play significantly improves. But Foye Olakun certainly not making a, a compelling case through two weeks. Again, 15 more games left to be played, but through two weeks that he deserves to get paid a lot of money next offseason either. So we'll see how that goes with both of those guys. We'll see how this goes with a lot of areas of this Falcons roster. We'll see what improvements these guys can make. And of course, on tomorrow's episode will be a crossover Thursday where I will be joined by the host of the Lockdown Giants podcast, Patricia Trainer, And we will get into the nitty gritty over whether or not the Falcons have what it takes to beat this Giants team. I think these are relatively two evenly matched opponents, uh, which is something I did not think I would say three weeks ago when talking about the Falcons going up against the Giants. So, you know, this is going to be an interesting game to see, you know, whether the Falcons can live up to that preseason expectation and, and show that they are significantly better than the Giants. Or is this going to be another close game that will give the, a, a team like the Giants uh, a team similar to the Falcons that's desperate to get their first win of the season um, an opportunity to win this game? So uh, we'll, we will learn a lot about this Falcon team on Sunday and uh, look forward to it. And, of course, you can look forward to the coverage of that here on the Lockdown Falcons podcast. But, of course, you can look forward to the coverage of which teams you should bet on on the Lockdown Bets podcast, your daily podcast devoted to all things money line and of course you get uh you know expert advice from handicapping expert lee sterling he's giving you his daily picks his blowout specials his lock of the day every day on the lockdown bets podcast where he's joined by host your boy q of course you can follow the lockdown bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast so guys there you have it Today's all 22 in Q and a, if you want to send in your questions for future Q and a's, we do it every Wednesday. Of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at lockdown Falcons on Facebook at lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to lockdown Falcons at mail.com. Appreciate it till then.